It was all just hubris on my part. It was completely my fault. Completely my fault. I said on a podcast episode that I was going to be back on a regular schedule. A schedule which I set for myself. I was wrong. I presented a challenge to whatever podcasting deities are out there. And then those those podcasting deities, they came out in full force. Just to make me aware that this act of hubris would have consequences. If I had known then what I know now, I mean, I, I probably would have done the same thing because I'm always convinced that I can fix things this time around. But I would have at least thought about it a bit. Anyway, this is Bittersweet Ramblings. And I promise not to issue any more challenges to the podcasting gods. You know, it started when the battery in my car died, which cars going wrong for me, that doesn't really phase me all that much. Gremlins get to my car a lot, like whatever vehicle I'm driving. I attract car and mechanical gremlins like a porch light attracts moths. Luckily, I am very good at looking up how to fix things on YouTube. And then when I go out there and I try to fix it and I realize I don't have the right tool, and I swam around my house for a little bit, swearing. I'm really good at calling my brother to come over and help me fix it. That way, he can watch the YouTube videos, throw a tool on the garage for, curse out all the cars for having all these stupid parts, and then eventually fix it. Which is a system that works for me. So it turns out, yet again, I didn't have the right wrench. Guess what? It doesn't matter. I handled it. I, in this case, my brother was out of town, so he sent a friend who had the right tools and actually fixed it right away. And this 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 delayed me writing this like a day or two, but you know, not that much. And then, then I, I, I picked up a phone call, and the call said that I won something. Finally, after years and years of never entering drawings, avoiding any type of sweepstake entries. And basically just never, ever buying any sort of lottery tickets unless I felt peer pressure to do so, I had won something. <laughs> and for a second, I had a crazy mad dream. And I believe that this time, maybe, maybe it might be true. Which doesn't happen, I don't win things. Things fall into some people's laps. Whereas... Other people get more of the pie-in-the-face kind of life. I'm the, the second version of that. Pie-in-the-face, and then everything drips down, and it just destroys your best outfit kind of luck. That's my luck. But from out of nowhere, like, deep, deep inside of me, this hope sort of sprang up. And I thought, maybe, just maybe, maybe this time I had actually won something. Maybe the sun, like, this had, had, had opened up and the sun was shining down and it was just, you know, like, warming me from the inside. Spoiler alert, and I know this will shock you, it was a scam. It, I didn't win anything. This happened because 
I made a mistake in judgment. I picked up a phone call for a number I didn't recognize because I was distracted and waiting for a call back from a different number. So I ended up answering this call, which was from a super pushy sales guy on the other line. It was telling me I won something, asking me when I would be home and more importantly, when my husband would be home so that they could install or deliver my prize with both me and my husband there. I said, sure, I want it. You can just send it to me. And I was ready to give him a P.O. box. And then the guy said he would bring it to my house, which was when I realized that he already had my address. And then I remembered like several weeks ago, there was this super pushy, really creepy old guy. Uh, he was a door to door salesman who had showed up at my door a few weeks before. He wanted to talk about some air filtration system with me and my non-existent husband and kept talking about, you know, how he could show this, this thing to me and my non-existent husband and where was my non-existent husband. And eventually I just gave him my phone number, knowing that I would never pick up the phone for a phone call I didn't recognize because I wanted him to leave my place and get the hell away from my door and not come back. During the phone call, he mentioned my husband about 15 more times. I'm not exaggerating. It was you and your husband, you and your husband. When's your husband going to be there? You and your husband. He was very insistent that both me and my husband need to be there for the installation of said prize and the demonstration of how said prize worked. When I finally broke down and said I was not married, he asked if I wanted to be, because the phone call wasn't creepy enough. And then when I said, no, I wasn't interested in anything like that, he said, well, I had to try. He didn't have to try. There was no reason to try. He knew me from one failed sales pitch and a phone call. There's no reason to try at all. So how did I handle this? I handled this with the maturity and strength of a grown-ass adult. Which means I called my brother and I had him and a buddy meet the guy at the door and just sent him on his way after verifying that I had won nothing but an in-house demonstration. It's not my proudest moment, but i it's not like the moment I'm least proud of. There, there are like a massive stack of moments I'm not proud of. So this one just kind of blends into like the middle of the pack. I'm not good at confrontation. Some people thrive in confrontation. It gives them a big power surge and they walk away energized and empowered and all that bullshit. I get stuck in a confrontation and I walk away traumatized and just having to watch kitten videos for like the next six hours. Initially, I had plans to handle it with maturity. And then when they stopped by my place, I was you know, gonna just send them on their way. Until a co-worker started referring to it as my date to be murdered and asking what time the murder appointment was. And then I, I started questioning whether it should just be me meeting him at the door. Now, outside of the car battery dying and, you know, this little salesman thing, if it were just that alone, I still would have gotten it out in a reasonable time frame. But no! 
No, no. This incident wasn't isolated. Because I don't pick up phone calls from numbers I don't recognize. Unless I am waiting for a call back from a repairman. In this case, a plumber. Because the night before, at midnight, my cat got me out of bed. This is not a normal thing. She's, she's pretty lazy in general. But she kept bugging me to follow her, so I did. And then I got to the kitchen and I smelled something horrible. Something, something was horribly wrong with the world. Truly, truly horribly wrong. It was coming from the basement. When I smelled it and it was coming from the basement, I was, I was really hoping that maybe I'd left a window open and the smell was coming from the neighbor's trash or that a squirrel had figured out how to unlock my door and hide some rotten food in the basement because squirrels are just basically fur-covered lunatics or that a swamp monster had gotten lost and come up through my basement drain looking for directions. But no, it wasn't something reasonable like that. No, no, why would it be? My sewer line had backed up and there was just pure unadulterated raw sewage overflowing my basement toilet and tub. Just flowing into my other basement room creating like a reflecting pool of despair on my basement floor that when you looked into it would just show you the grotesque depths of your own mind. And also, it it really smelled and, and not like summer garden. So I, I grabbed my shop back and I spent the next few hours vacuuming up raw sewage from my basement and dumping it outside trying to save whatever I could. Like, not save the sewage, but save the stuff that I had in the basement. I wasn't that attached to the sewage. When, when I was dumping out the sewage outside, that, that was the point when I gave in. I said, alright, we're just, we're just gonna go late with the next one. I just, you know, apologize to the podcasting deities and recognize that things were not going to go as planned. They weren't even going to go close to as planned. So basically, you know, my will is broken. So I'm not going to promise to get the episodes out sooner. I'm going to try, but every time I try that, it goes fairly poorly. So so I'm going to take a different approach and just put them out when I get them done. I was clearly out of line in predicting that things would not go poorly for a week or two. That was on me. I know better. (laughs) That is my fault. (laughs) I should have been aware that any predictions about me doing anything in a reasonable time frame would would bring destruction upon my household. Also, I have been avoiding the neighbors down the hill from me because I'm up on a hill and they're down from... (laughs) And they're down the hill from me. And I don't think they're going to appreciate what I did with the sewage that I vacuumed up. Because it had to go somewhere. I had to get it out of the basement. And so I just sort of dumped it onto my cement patio where it just kind of ran into my yard. Sort of in the 
in the general direction of their kid's playset, and then I decided not to track it any further. Also, I'm not sure how I'm going to explain it next year if the grass in my backyard actually looks decent and not the usual remains of a trash fire look that I normally maintain. Trying to explain what type of fertilizer I used could go poorly. I Look, the sewage probably didn't reach the playset. If it did, it'll just build up the kid's immune system. I'm helping prevent allergies. So when I was thinking about the guys who I won the air filtration prize from, it got me thinking about the ways that people are drawn into scams. Even if you're on, like, constantly watching this stuff and constantly feel that you're on guard and know what other people are thinking and all that other stuff, there's stuff that just kind of slips in through the cracks. Now, at first, I couldn't figure out why the creepy old sales guy just kept asking about my husband and when my husband would be there and wanting to make sure that both me and my husband were there for the presentation and insisting that it be a demonstration with my husband in the room. So it was super creepy to me. And it's still super creepy to me. Because he was a creep. But when I talked to one of my co-workers, uh, she kind of clued me in onto what some salespeople will do, which is they will play a couple against one another. They will buddy up with one partner in the couple and just use the relationships dynamics to try to force the product down the other one's throat. Oh, this guy, he knows what he's talking about. Here, buy my vacuum. That kind of junk. So whoever seems more interested in it is their buddy and the other person isn't the enemy and they're just not cool and they always keep that other guy from trying to get the stuff they want. Yeah, that kind of junk. Really, if someone like that comes to your door, it's a twofer. They will both sell you a crappy product and create more tension in your relationship. Combined with a little bit of, we are going to get into your house, probably creep you out, and not leave until you buy something. It's a win-win for, for them. She also said it sounded like they were trying to sell these lousy air filtration systems that are really just sort of tiny little humidifiers. So they'll say that you won something and come to your house to install it and then try to upsell you on some stuff that is like way more expensive. Or they'll try to upsell you on the stuff that you need just to make this stupid little humidifier work. It's really just like one of those multi-level marketing schemes, which are pyramid schemes with a product. It's, it's really all there is. Oh, they sold you a product. It was marked up. You'll never make any money from it and all that. And really, we just make money off our salespeople. But there's a product involved and they're not selling nothingness. So they call it market, multi-level marketing instead of uh, pyramid scheme. Just to give you an example of some of these schemes, they're basically like... Amway or Mary Kay or Avon. They're that random stuff that someone on your Facebook or social media account is trying to sell you. And normally they, they do tend to aim at women. So they're why you get these sort of random invites to a party from a coworker or a friend where you go there and they're trying to sell you candles or makeup or baskets or kitchen utensils. My father likes to refer to these as the fuck your friends parties. 
<laughs> no, I don't have a problem. Like I, I had less of a problem with these when I was growing up because where I grew up, it was, it was a super rural area. There's not a lot of access to things like decent makeup or candles at the time. It was all pretty much drugstore stuff. There wasn't an Amazon or, or any place to really order this stuff. So what you had was at the drugstore and, you know, maybe they would have some at um, like a Walmart or something like that. But it was it was pretty limited. Because of this, there were a lot of Mary Kay Tupperware and home interior and gift parties. At the time, I didn't know a ton about them except that whoever put them on usually got suckered into it by another friend or needed some makeup. When I was growing up, our house was completely covered in stuff from home interiors and gifts parties. Our walls were practically a catalog for the company. We had a neighbor just like a block away who sold it and she had parties multiple times a year. I say home interior and gifts and you may not recognize the name, but you have seen this stuff, I guarantee you, at your grandparents' house, at your parents' house, or more likely in a goodwill. Because this stuff was ubiquitous for a while. The, the merchandise, it was a lot of those brass leaves and vines, or ceramic animals in an outdoor-like scene, or it would be like tiny creepy looking children or old people. There wasn't really like an in-between and they would have those uh, cut glass candle holders and those there was always the framed prints of wagon wheels and despondent looking children and sometimes they would have the wagon wheels and the sad kids in the painting together usually in a deserted field or next to what looked like an abandoned farmhouse with overgrown vines which may be why the kids looked despondent on occasion you would also see like these pictures you could buy of better looking houses for you to hang in your house because it was aspirational <laughs> and and the frames were always resin or plastic and painted gold and sometimes the frames were white if it was plastic that was shaped like wicker <laughs> if if you really had some cash you could get some resin that was painted to look wood like just like in nature the sheer amount of brass and gold painted stuff in the catalogs was overwhelming. It was, it was like the people creating this looked at the stuff they had and said, Hey, wait, that looks kind of cheap. Know how to make it look fancy like paint it gold problem solved. There were also tons of these gold-painted candelabras or sconces in the shapes of vines that would hang on a wall so you could put multiple candle holders on it. Because nothing screams home like gold-painted shrubbery that is hanging on your wall and on fire. And they were especially helpful at getting the candle flames just a little bit closer to your curtains. And yes, this company does still exist, but now it's celebrating home, which markets itself to Christian women working from home. It's, it's in their mantra, God first, uh, family second. So the rest of you heathens need not apply. Only the true believers get to sell a bunch of plastic shit to their buddies. 
If you are obsessed with looking at real estate listings like I am, you can usually quickly figure out who was friends with the home interiors person and who sold it. Because if they did or if they do sell it, the walls in their house are beige and or tan and they have this stuff hung up all over the place because they have to buy stock to sell and all the stuff hanging on the walls is the crap they couldn't unload. And I don't know, I think they paint a beige or tan because either they moved in and that was the color or they just wanted it to be neutral but not show fingerprints like white paint does. So I was listening to a podcast called The Dream, which is about multi-level marketing schemes. It's a really great podcast. And it talks about scams and it does a pretty deep dive on who they target. And it's, I mean, it's, a, it's a good podcast, but there was a person who they interviewed who sold this stuff who was friends with the host. And it really bugged me because it was pretty clear that they let her off easy because of her relationship with the host. This friend went to a presentation by like the Better Business Bureau in their small town to try to figure out how to increase business in the area. And in this presentation, uh, somebody talked about the people who were living paycheck to paycheck. And they explained that when the paycheck came in, the people who were living you know, hand-to-mouth kind of thing, were likely to buy something because their money disappears really quickly for bills. So this short time frame is the only time when they can buy just a little bit of something for themselves before all of their cash goes to expenses. Now this friend, she uh, she didn't sell makeup. She didn't sell food stuff. She didn't sell things that can be hung on the walls. Uh, she sold fucking purses. Just purses. So this purse salesperson takes it upon herself to start going to the trailer parks and selling fucking purses at the beginning of the month. And this is where she made a ton of sales, just preying on people who are often forgotten and just struggling to make it, you know, through another week to sell a bunch of bags. And you know it's going to be a bunch of purses that are just going to live in their closet. But for the moment, someone was visiting them and paying attention and assuming they could afford something instead of dismissing them. Now, if she had been selling makeup or it'd been one of those like food parties, even the home interior stuff, I could accept that. But fucking purses? The only thing worse than those stupid purses are those stupid basket parties. Where the baskets are always that wicker crap that breaks easily and catches on anything you throw into them and they collect dust like a magnet. And there's there's another issue with purses. And this this is something that if, if you don't carry one, it's important to understand this. There is a science to buying purses. They are really, really personal. Purses are something that a section of the population has to carry every day and what everyone needs is really different. It doesn't sound like it's a big deal, but when you're looking for one, it's a really big deal and it's really obnoxious and it takes forever. Because some people, they want to carry just the essentials. They just want a place for their card, a place for their phone, and that's about it. Other people have to carry, you know, they have kids, so they have to carry like wet wipes or band-aids or sewing kits. 
And then there are some people who need emergency medications if they have diabetes or if they have asthma. So they need a separate sort of storage space that is easy to reach, but separate from the stuff in their bag and so that everything can stay sterile. And then some people just want a big catch-all so they don't lose anything in the compartments. And then of course, what everyone wants to carry is gonna be different because these stupid bags live with you every day because God forbid they make like pockets in women's clothes. And then there's the shoulder straps, which are crossbody backpack style. Uh, shoulder straps or arm carry. And it, it depends on how that person wants to protect the stuff in their purse so that somebody doesn't come and grab it. So as a side note, unless you know someone really, really well, or they told you what to buy, don't buy a purse for someone. They're going to smile. They're going to appreciate it. They may even fake using it for a bit, but they're not going to use that purse for very long. Most people do not have a ton of purses, which is why her going to the trailer parks is so obnoxious. And most people just have one main purse that they use because moving all of your crap from one bag to another bag is a pain in the ass. You will always forget something. And it's usually the thing you're going to need the most at the next place you go. Plus, like washing machines eat socks or whatever clothing you need most, purses will eat whatever thing they think you're going to need the next. I don't know how they do it. They won't spit them up until like you've taken that purse and donated it to a thrift store. Which, by the way, if you want to find something interesting, go to a thrift store and just start going through the purse section and start like digging in the purses. Like, I've known people who found hundreds of dollars in the pockets. Because even though they donated it, and even though they checked it four times before they donated it, there's still going to be something in there. Some people find jewelry, some people find lovely notes. I don't have that kind of look. I, I look in purses and I find, like, a used cough drop and a dead roach. And probably a recipe for cabbage soup. This has been bittersweet ramblings. Uh, I'd say that I'm going to be on time next week, but I guarantee nothing. So thank you and have a good night.